Heroes first. Veterans together. Legacy forever. I want to thank you for joining me on this journey of getting to know our heroes on a much deeper level. I am your host, Josh White, and this is the Hero Front Podcast. Let's get after it. Holy cow, y'all. Josh here. Thanks for joining us. If you have time, you need to listen to this episode in its entirety. Go for a long drive. Go for a walk. Get outside. Well, I'm in Florida. Easy for me to say. But here's the deal, y'all. I just got done spending an hour and a half talking with Master Guns, Scott Stalker. This is the hero who runs all of Space Command. This guy runs the show. Now, your boy loves space. And so I had a plethora of questions, tons of questions, anything your average citizen would ask or want to know, I asked. We talked about his proudest Marine moment, what keeps him up at night, and his favorite airman. We talked about Elon Musk, SpaceX, and what the world would look like if China ran the show. We talked about Russia blowing up a satellite recently, and we talked about protecting your social media and why these other countries are so up in our cookies trying to steal our sites and pretend to be someone they're not. And we also cover the emotional side of being a senior enlisted leader and what that means to him. How do we take care of each other? How do we take care of our mental health? In this episode, you are going to learn about how a guy like Master Gun Scott Stalker stays on top of his game. I'm talking about invaluable insight that I promise will take you to the next level. So join me, Josh White, and my good friend, Master Gun Scott Stalker, as we talk everything Spacecom. Let's get after it. Sent you a note, and uh, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, something that I knew you had, and so I found out about it because I actually listened to your podcast, um, and, and that's how I found because you had mentioned it on the podcast. Gotcha. Okay. You're talking about the, um, with, um, Siak Troxel. Well, I listened to that one and then, uh, I actually listened to one and I wrote her name down cause I knew I'd forget it. Um, cause it was an interesting name. Where is it? Uh, Texart and Kim Desilus. Okay. Uh, I, I like that one because it, the, 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 the title captured me where she, she went from, you know, uh, she had some, she had a, a bump in the road. Right. I titled it I, from first to last and what she did about it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, because most people that get to the last piece, at least publicly, don't want to have the discussion about that, right? And I can even talk to you about how I was in last once and and what that did to me. But most people, uh, you know, at least have a self-image about I'm number one and I'm the greatest and this and that. Um, and and I thought it was pretty brave of her to to admit to to what happened. And and I actually understand it, especially how hers was during the COVID timeframe and there was a bit of uncertainty there. Um, so, but anyways, I like that one too, but that, that podcast, that's when you mentioned, uh, your nose surgery. Um, gotcha. I think that was the first episode I did, uh, right after the surgery and it looked, it was brutal. You should came on with like bandages and, and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> just on painkillers, just saying whatever I want. Yeah. 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 But no, I, I'm honored that you listen to my podcast straight up. I look up to you. You're getting after it every day, protecting America on a level that I can't even wrap my head around. So I look up to you 
And I'm so incredibly honored that you listen to Hero Front. And now that you're on it, I mean, that is so cool. And I think it's fantastic that you're on it because your message, what, what Space Command is all about, that message is going to go straight to the airmen and the soldiers that are wondering, what is Space Command? So I think that what you're doing is fantastic way to get your mission out to, to folks who may not get to hear it that often. You know what I mean? I do. And I, I would tell you, too, um, there's a little bit of um, uh, selfishness in why I listen to your podcast as well. And I would offer to anyone in positions like I'm in when when I travel or where I go somewhere, I, I often get the, you know, at least a form of the red carpet and, and the shiny objects and, and everything that's going exceptionally well. But when in your podcast, there's a lot of real and honest conversation that I think I would miss in other places. And the topics you touch on aren't ones that I am naturally, um, um, they aren't in my nature. Like I, I, I tend to focus on, you know, uh, the, the war fighting mission that we have here. And, and sometimes some of the service specific things or even the mental health challenges that you are heavily into, into I don't get ground truth. Um, and so there's, there's that reason why I want to listen to it. Um, and also, I think it, you also come at it from a different angle um, than others. And I, and I like that there's very much an authenticity to yours. A lot of people want to be the next this instead of the, the current me uh, or the current you. And so I, I really do like how you approach it. But, uh, you know, what I would tell you, too, and, and not that you asked this, but I have to, you know, paid advertisement here is um, there's a lot of confusion about Space Command and Space Force. For the right reasons, we, we came about roughly the same time, August 29th for Space Command, um, and we're two years old, and then, and then the Space Force uh, on the 20th of December. And so people aren't sure what's what. Um, I've even jokingly gotten some emails in asking me when I'm on authorized beards in the Space Force and these other things um, that I have no authority to do. But um, yeah, I mean, just what, two Sundays ago, we had the Russians uh, launch a uh, direct ascent ASAT missile and literally destroy one of their own satellites in space um, to the point, and the NASA director even commented on this, that for a while there, they had to um, alert our ast the astronauts on the International Space Station because we were worried about debris uh, hitting them and, and, and that. So there's an awful lot going on. I love the job, the mission. It's really it's exciting to be a part of something in terms of the command that's new. Certainly the, the area isn't new, but what, we, what we're doing with it is, is fairly new. Wow. I can't, I mean, like the things that like you deal with are in like Hollywood movies, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. Like your life, your, your day-to-day -day ops, the situations that present themselves are the only thing that I'm familiar with is, is seeing that on television, you know? Um, so it's crazy that that is your everyday life. And I get exactly what you mean by listening to hero front to hear kind of the no kidding truth what's on you know young soldiers and young airmen's minds because they they probably wouldn't want to tell you to your face right they want to they want to uh impress you they want to sell you on their mission and so for you to get the no kidding like truth like what people are thinking what they're talking about what they're struggling with this is a way for you to pull that message in so i think that is absolutely incredible i think it speaks to your character and what you're all about and I always skip this because I have ADD, but we're not skipping it this time. We're doing it. Um, I come up with three questions. You probably heard this on a few of the other podcasts. I call it the hero's gauntlet. And it's three unique questions to you 
that I think that you would have a very good answer. And so I thought about yours before we started uh, just now. And so I asked this um, to SEAC Troxel as well, because I don't talk to uh, many outside of the Air Force. So I love that I'm talking to a Marine. And so my first question to you of the Heroes Gauntlet is who is your favorite airman? Oh, wow. Who's my favorite airman? Um, my favorite airman, I think, uh, yeah. So the best thing you can do is catch me, catch me off guard. I'm usually very well prepared for that. Um, you know, currently serving, I think, uh, there are an awful lot of, of great ones out there. I certainly have a great relationship with all those at the combatant command, uh, Phil Easton, who's, who's going to be retiring soon from European command, um, and, and others, um, I look at uh, my relationship with Joe Bass, the chief master on the Air Force. Um, and what I love about her is there's a candid and frank honestness to her, really authentic. Um, but who is my favorite airman? I was thinking of my decom, but he's no longer in the Air Force. He's in the Space Force. And the struggle I have is a lot of my, my good ones here uh, have, have gone on the Space Force. Let me say this. Um, I think everyone builds their own case for the opportunities that they have in the, in, in life. Um, and they do that by performance and relationships, um, and, and a reputation, but I probably wouldn't be here. Um, or at least I would have had a, a harder time to get in this seat if it wasn't for the last, uh, chief master in the air force and K Wright, who, um, who made some calls for me, who, who, um, had some honest conversations with me directly about these opportunities. And, you know, uh, what I loved about how he how he really looked at things is he was looking for the best athlete, not necessarily the best airman. And and some may say, well, that's not necessarily his role. But I think in in the war fighting business, in the business of war fighting, you've got to have you you want to have that best athlete, man or woman, uh, you know, you name it, uh, because we can't afford to put the second best, uh, in my opinion, in these COCOM senior enlisted leader positions. You know, you don't want the second best to be your service senior enlisted advisor. Um, we're not looking for the second best chief of staff of the Air Force and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, there, there's an awful lot. I, I love uh, Shane Pilgrim, who I, who just retired, Chief Master Sergeant Shane Pilgrim. But I'll go with that because he's uh, probably directly responsible for me being right here right now. That's awesome. And I've, I've gotten to meet him twice. Um, I met him at AFA. I, I went for it. I said, Hey, if you ever come to Whiteman, you have to see the Whiteman honor guard. Cause that's what I was doing there. I was doing the funeral honors there. Yeah. And he said, you got it. I'm, I'm coming and we'll see it. And, and sure enough, two months later, he was in the honor guard uh, in our building and it was an absolutely incredible moment. He, he really is an awesome guy. And I listened to his podcast with you. That was how I found out who you were. And so uh, yeah. that was a great episode. Yeah, he, he, uh, he actually, when he was uh, the SimSaf, he invited me to AFA and I spoke at that. Um, and uh, I didn't know going into that what I was getting into in terms of the audience. Uh, I was just going to, this is my last job at Cyber Command at NSA. And um, he had me come down and, and uh, that was awesome to, to do that. Very large crowd, uh, an opportunity to speak to everyone there about what we do. Um, and really looking at about information environment and, and how we were just kind of starting to understand the impacts um, of, of social media, of adversary influence and what that does long term to to our psyche. Whereas, you know, a kinetic weapon system, certainly it hits you today and you're and, you know, damage is done and, and lives are lost. 
but over the information environment, you know, the, the, the idea is to change opinions and, and a mindset, and that takes a long time. And so the long game um, is, is, is kind of how I see the information environment. So yeah, that was good. Um, and, and I, uh, I didn't go to this year's one, um, uh, not because of COVID, but we have now the space symposium that's here. And so, um, you know, I, I, I tend to go to things I'm invited to that one is more of a, a service event. Um, but, but I did go to our space symposium here, but you guys do a great job at those things. I think in many ways, people look at that and they say, wow, the air force is kind of setting the standard. What I love about it is, in, uh, is that, uh, there are a lot of junior airmen that are invited to it as well. And it's not just a, an opportunity for E9s and O10s to get together. Um, it, it's real. It really is built on cultivating an environment that understands um, the priorities of the Air Force. I, I loved it. I that that actually I was all in after that that conference. I mean, younger airmen need to know about it. I, I preach it to everyone that'll listen because just the insight that it gave me, the conversations I would have, like I sat at a table with Chief Bass by complete chance, got to know her, got to talk to her, hear her vision. And so like, they kind of bring you into their world, you know? And so it, it really is a special conference. All right, question yeah. number two, what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? Well, I have a now three-year-old who just turned three, two days ago. Um, and I have a one-year-old right there. With I also you. Have, what's that <laughs> right there with you have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Yeah. And if secretary Mattis didn't already say nothing keeps me up at night, I keep the enemy up at night. That's, that's what I would say, but what keeps me up at night um, in terms of this mission is, is I don't actually think uh, the Chinese wake up in the morning and say, let's, let's start a, a war. I don't think the Russians do. And I certainly know that we don't, but my concern is that there will be a misunderstanding or confusion um, and something happening in space on accident that can lead to um, greater uh, challenges. And so that, that's something I worry about. I worry that um, all of our folks, as we, as we, you know, we, we're just building this command, we're two years into it. Um, everyone comes here with a service perspective. They don't fully understand the jointness. So I worry, am I doing enough to make sure that they understand how their mission fits into the bigger perspective. Am I developing my senior enlisted leaders? Am I, am I focusing on that? Um, but quite frankly, I'm here late, usually every night and, and in early, early morning. So um, I'm exhausted when I get home and, and I don't struggle too bad. I, I told you uh, off screen that my requirement is I'm home at 6.30 every night to, to tuck my girls in. And um, whether I come back or not, I don't know. But um, those are the things I concern, I'm concerned with is, is a, mis, a misunderstanding um, in space leading to something greater? Um, and then am I doing enough to develop my people? And, and those are the things that I, I focus on and I worry about. Yeah, definitely. The misunderstanding piece, I, I could definitely see that because, I mean, you're in uncharted territory right now. I mean, Literally. really, you, there's no one you can ask, hey, what do I do in this scenario? Like, this could be the first time these scenarios have ever happened ever. Yeah. So I think we're up to uh, 20, 25,000 things in space, whether it's debris or satellites um, that we're tracking. They're moving at 17-ish thousand miles an hour. And so the ability to track those, you know, you know God forbid our ability to see that for a, a half a second is, is diminished um, or the adversary can't see something and they maneuver incorrectly, um, th that, that can lead to, you know, chaos. And so I worry about that. Again, I'm not worried. I don't think anyone on any of the sides, 
the, the nations I mentioned wake up and say, let's, let's, this is the day we destroy everything in space, uh, minus what the Russians did a couple weeks ago and what the Chinese did in 2007. I, I think it's really about, man, you know, are we all seeing the same picture? And one of the, you know, my boss's top priority here is space domain awareness, being able to see, characterize, and understand everything that's going up there. Um, that is hard. That's really hard. Absolutely. So th that does keep me up at night. Yep. Absolutely. Great answer. Now it's going to keep me up at night. All right. <laughs> okay. So here's uh, the third question. This is one that I love to ask because you just never know what you're going to get. And that third question is, what is your proudest Marine moment? Oh, that's easy. I, I think everyone has that. It's uh, well, you know, I've been a master gunny now 11 years. Uh, that's not my proudest moment. My proudest moment is when I see my teammates get promoted uh, or get an award. Um, you know, I, I have a teammate with me who I just uh, saw get promoted in the army. Uh, one of my petty officers just got promoted to chief. This is all in the last few weeks. I'll be in Texas in a few uh, few weeks in, in, in January to see an airman that worked for me. Uh, she'll pin on senior master sergeant. So that's that's easy to me. It's always to see them succeed. Um, I really don't need any more gifts. I don't need any more awards. I'm certainly not get promoted again. But to see others that have worked with me who put in so much and their families have sacrificed so much, um, whether it's deployments or long hours to see them get promoted, that brings me great joy. Absolutely. Definitely. That's like the gratitude that, you know, when I was coming up as an airman, I never knew existed until I experienced it. But like investing in people and and seeing all the hard work pay off, seeing them get recognized and their family getting pictures with them and how proud they are. Like that's just a, a form of gratitude that it doesn't exist anywhere else, I feel like. And, and I'm so glad that, you know, us as leaders can tap into that because it fuels us. You know what I mean? It, it, it brings all of us to the next level. I even, you know, it's even, if it's even for senior leaders, I was in Yuma a few weeks ago and I saw uh, the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps. He just got promoted, uh, General Eric Smith. And, uh, you know, he's wearing his four stars now. And, uh, you know, he gave me a big bear hug. I got to give him a big bear hug, but, you know, I'm just excited for him because we got it right. The Marine Corps got it right again. And, 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 and all the services uh, for the most part, usually get it right who they're promoting it's just something special for me. It really makes me happy. Or even, even when an individual retires and gets a really uh, a, a nice job, you know, I love to see, you know, you had SIAC on uh, Troxel on here a while ago um, and, and to see the lot, all the things that he is doing. Um, I don't know. That's what charges me. Not, not, uh, you know, Hey, master gun stalker got a, got another achievement medal or, or, or another star on his good conduct. I, I could care less about that. So. Absolutely. Great answer, sir. Okay. So now that you passed the hero's gauntlet, take it back before you were master gunny stalker. What led up to this point? I know you had a very long career. You've been in uh, for quite some time now. Um, but just some of the highlights of your career and how you how you became in charge of space comp. Yes. Um, so, you know, let, let's start with with um, coming in dead last in my Intel class. Dead last. You know, and, and, and to the left of that, why I came in dead last is because I was a, a slightly um, cocky high school kid coming in who uh, found academics easy naturally. And so I never, never had any work, work ethic, uh, graduated high school year early, came in the Marine Corps um, and, and signed up to be infantry. And as you know, you go to boot camp, you take these uh, tests and they test your aptitude. And I, and I have jokingly said that I was sober that day. 
So I had a decent ASVAB score and they said, hey, we're going to put you in Intel instead. Well, I go to Intel school and uh, put zero effort into it because why should I? I just never had to. Uh, and of course, smacked me in the face quickly. And I was 30th of 30, dead last in my class graduating, um, which meant when I, when I had uh, the assignments, I had the last pick. And so it was heartbreaking for me getting the last pick because I was being sent to a non-deploying unit. This was in 1993. So I wasn't going to a unit that deployed. I was just going to stay on the, on the base and do nothing. And a, a, a mentor of mine who to this day is still my mentor, Bob Howard, um, grabbed me by the, by the collar and said, hey, you know, if, if you want to, uh, to excel in the Marine Corps, if you want to do more and, and become more, you're going to have to put in more work. And I listened to him and I still do. Matter of fact, I probably get two or three emails from him a week still. Um, and, and so luck should have it. You know, I started working hard and putting in the work, coming in a little early, staying a little late, uh, understanding what was going on, briefing the, the, uh, the 06 commander. And then an individual breaks his ankle at one of the deploying squadrons. And my gunny said, hey, stalker, do you want to go? I said, absolutely. And the rest is history. I, I literally found myself weeks later in, in Somalia, um, I, out at, you know, literally on, on Fgoye Road in the middle of a, a pretty intense situation, 18 years old. Um, and then many years later, um, as a newer master gunny, how, and this leads to how I got here, is uh, I was given the opportunity to do a, a briefing to a very senior uh, general officer. And what I didn't realize is at the time was this individual was soon going to become the director of DIA, uh, Lieutenant General Vince Stewart. So I was giving him a presentation and update what we were doing in Marine Corps Special Operations Command. Um, he liked the brief. We stayed in touch. So kind of had that relationship, that professional relationship. And, uh, and years later, he, he asked me to come serve with him at DIA at the Defense Intelligence Agency. That led to an opportunity a couple of years later to interview for United States Cyber Command and NSA. Um, Admiral Rogers allowed me to, to come on there and, and be with him on the team. Um, and, then, and then a few years later, uh, having the chance to do this. I'll tell you, though, when I got the, uh, the call to interview, having already been a COCOM CISO, I was pretty sure I was the throwaway COA, what we call the throwaway COA. Um, and, I, and I had in my heart, I thought, okay, they're going to replace Chief Toberman with an airman. That's the tradition that goes on here. And so all I did was kind of interview and play to my strengths, which is war fighting and leadership, um, building a team. And, uh, and, you know, this was during COVID, well, as it is right now. So I'm on his VTC. Didn't know General Raymond, never met him in my life. Um, I, I knew who he was, but I didn't have a relationship with him. Um, and so that I just kept on hitting on those issues, you know, and, and I, I flat out told him, I'm not a space expert. Um, but I'm a warfighter and I will, I will absorb all the knowledge that I can when I get there. Um, but how I view it is we've got to take everything we do here and translate it into uh, warfighting. Um, and so that, that, you know, he called me a few days later and said, Hey, I'm picking you. And, and so the, the rest is history, but um, like the podcast you had before. Um, and we talked about that where you've seen people who have had bumps in the road. Um, I did early on in my career where dead last in my class, and, and, and now serving here. And so um, sometimes all of us, we need that little shake and, and, and to get back on track. And that's what I needed then. Definitely. So you also talked about how the podcast, my podcast is big on mental health, which is true because, you know, I've kind of a lot of the trauma I had as a, a kid growing up, uh, all those things kind of resurfaced when I joined the military and I had to work through some things. And so that's why I'm an advocate for one, because I'm trying to help 
reach back and pull up any anyone who needs that extra that extra lift up out of that hole that they might have found themselves in like I was in has there ever been a point in your life because I mean you've you've you talked about being dead last of uh, that one time but for the most part I mean you've been you've been killing it has there ever been a time where you like struggled um needed help asked for help and and if so you know what are the things that you practice to stay resilient um, yeah, you know, so I think, I think for those of us that have, um, deployed in combat and, and I think there's, there are many differences of this and, and you can read, oh, Rex Grossman, he talks about on killing and how there's a difference between doing it at 30,000 feet and then all the way down echelon and doing it with your hands. Um, so being in, in, in a lot of combat operations, I remember my last one into crit, um, we were there for about 13 months and, and living outside the wire with the Iraqis, uh, with the Iraqis team that we were training. And, and coming home for me, I just felt like I don't fit in with society. I don't really think they appreciate what we're doing there. I was much better with my team. I had 12 Marines and a Navy corpsman. Uh, and then later we had the, the 25th ID assigned us some infantrymen as well um, as things got a little bit uh, hot and hairy. So what I found is, is I, needed, I, needed to, I, I needed to do a self-assessment because I think a lot of people can can tell you, hey, Scott, you're doing well or you're not. But I realized quickly that um, I kind of felt like I was viewing society from the lens of a movie screen. I wasn't actually there. I was still kind of in Iraq and in the fight. Um, and so I just uh, I just happened to be having one of my checkups. And I said, hey, I don't know. Like, I don't think I have PTSD. I don't I'm not going to self diagnose what, what I have, but I don't feel like I'm here. And so I have had a lot of conversations um, in this job, um, you know, assigned myself to see a mental health professional to look after, uh, uh, you know, myself. And, and it's something that's ongoing. It's, uh, you know, occasionally I'll just pop into the chaplain's office now and, and say, hey, can you give me a vector check? But yeah, I did. Um, and, you know, you talk a lot about books. You got books there behind you. One of the things that really changed my perspective is uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's a book everyone has to read. It is my favorite book ever. It is an incredible read. Um, this is an individual who went through the most horrific situations in the, as, a, as a Holocaust survivor. Um, his, his wife and his kids were executed. Um, and he talks about um, post-traumatic growth and how he was able to have something and, have, and find meaning in life. And that was his key thing is, how do you find meaning in life? That's what we all need. Um, and so that, that's kind of what I, I, I've been able to focus on is what is my meaning? What is my purpose? What do I add value to everyone? Because I think anyone that's gone on these deployments and, 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 uh, you know, had to bury their friends. One of the things that I do anytime I'm in DC is, uh, I go visit my brother-in-law who's buried there, uh, and all of my teammates who were killed in action. And, and, and I usually don't like people there with me because, um, it's, it's very emotional for me to, you know, to, to think of my brother-in-law who was, uh, you know, shot in the head in Iraq and, uh, and Eric Christensen and, 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 uh, you know, all on and on Shannon, uh, Shannon Kent and you name it. Um, it, I think the reason I don't like the word PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder is because it implies that a natural reaction to an unnatural act is a disorder. I don't think it is a disorder. I, I think it's post-traumatic stress and we all deal with it a certain way. Um, but like any type of injury, you got to get it healed and you got to see an expert to get fixed uh, so they can get back on track. So you can find your purpose. 
Um, so yeah, I do. Uh, I have, um, I don't have a, a current schedule where I'm seeing someone today. Um, but I, I do, I do stay close with my chaplains and, and talk to them. Matter of fact, my chaplain from seventh Marines, uh, almost of 20 years, I still talk to to this day. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Those, those relationships are, are huge. Um, yep. you know, when I was an airman, I, I, I didn't really realize it. You know, it wasn't until I got older when I was like, okay, yeah, I, I miss my family. I miss my friends. Like, you know, there's a void there. If you don't foster those relationships, like, I mean, you had a chaplain for how many years? That I stay in touch with. Yes, sir. Yeah. Since 2003. Wow. Bill Divine. Yeah. yeah. 2003. That's awesome. Because you, you, you ultimately grow from all your wounds. Um, you know, if you have, um, you, well, someone that likes to compete in powerlifting, or at least has when I was a little younger, um, you know, you put on stress, you overload the, the neural system, you lift more weight. Um, and through that, you grow that, that traumatic stress you put on your body. I think we can all grow from this. It's certainly going to um, always be with you. And, and, it, and it's, there's variables. I didn't go through the worst of things and, and, and I didn't go through the best of things either. Um, but, but how you deal with it and you, and you go back to now, based on this, what is my purpose? Um, and, and how do I find meaning in what I'm going to do? Uh, you, you can grow from it. It takes time though. Um, and especially, you know, if, if you're burying someone that you brought on the team, you know, I, I, I recruited an individual in soft, uh, and brought him on the team. Um, and, a, about 18 months later, um, I was in front of his mom and dad, uh, talked to him about, uh, what a great man he was and, and a leader, um, as we were burying him in Arlington. That's hard. That's, that's really, that, that hits you deep. Um, but if you can look in the mirror and know you, you gave it everything you can and, you know, you gave him all the tools, you trained him all you, as best you can. It makes it a little bit easier, but, but you'll, you'll go through periods where you're questioning yourself. Um, and the best thing you can do, whether it's go to the VFW and talk to like-minded veterans um, or something is to have those discussions and conversations. Um, and I think that's why, you know, if I look at my core group of friends, those individuals, you know, my best man was, was a SEAL, was, uh, SEAL Team 6. And, and, and we, you know, we were on the same battle space together. It, it, we have things in common, um, but we also have to have those positive reinforcements to say, hey, it's, it's perfectly okay to get, get assistance and help. And as someone who's had a, a, a clearance and more polygraphs than I can count in my life, uh, I've never heard of one time where we're seeking help uh, took away that clearance. You know, I was, I was a senior enlisted for the National Security Agency. Uh, my boss knew that I was getting help uh, and, and, and seeing somebody wasn't an issue at all, period. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and I, I love hearing that when I came up as an airman, it was, uh, you know, it, it was always taboo and we're kind of getting to the point now where it's like, okay, th this is a, this is an issue. We need to kind of get it out in the open. We need to help each other out here. And I, and I love just from when I, I've been in 17 years, just from where it was at then to where it's at now, I am, I'm really, really happy to see, uh, where it's going in the support. I think in the long run, it's going to set us up for success because I remember when I was an airman and I was going through some, some dark times, I looked at who I, who I looked up to as leaders. I saw that they were perfect and weren't going through anything. And so I thought, well, I must not be like them. And it, so it, it can be really isolating when you feel like, you know, you're the only one who feels this way and you're the only one who's going through that. Um, so for y'all to share your stories, especially someone like you and your position, Hey, I'm human too. I think that's awesome. So thank you so much for sharing that, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. It's um, everyone's wired differently. Um, 
I would actually struggle with a lack of stress. I, I need, I need demands. I need, I need stress in my life. That's, that's just how we are. I would, I, I would struggle if I had to do teleworking or, or the, you know, I, I need to be around people. And one of the things that I can, I'm concerned with when, when hopefully soon uh, the, the current situation with COVID is, is over or we get back to some kind of normal is, you know, we sent a lot of people home to isolate to, to not socialize. And that's not natural. That's not human. And I worry about what that does long-term to the force um, and also um, our reliance on engaging via social media. I've always said social media is not social and it's not media. Um, it is a tool and it's a beautiful tool. There's certainly negatives in there, uh, but those are human related. Um, and those are people that use it in a negative manner, but the tools, the tools, tools are exceptional. So I worry about that. And I think that that's going to have a, um, a snowball effect long-term, um, at least for the force that's in today and stays a little bit longer. And so we've got to, we've got to normalize, uh, this, you know, I got to go to the medical every year anyways, to do my checkup. Um, and if you're a little older, you've got to get other things checked up. You got to run your PFT annually for us. We've got to do a, a CFT and a PFT twice a year. When, what about your, your, your headspace and timing? When are you going to get uh, looked at up um, and make sure you're doing well there. And so we, we just have to normalize it. And, um, and I think we're doing a good job of doing that, um, but we got to continue to do so. Definitely. And uh, I, I think what you're touching on purpose too, you brought that up a few times being purposeful. Uh, that is what fuels me, right? Like when you have purpose in your crosshairs, I mean, that's when you're firing on all cylinders. That's what energizes you, what fuels you. So for me, it's a, a balance between what I find purposeful and my balance of those things. I know what I should be doing. I should be exercising, eating right. I should be telling my kids I love them, spending time with my wife. I should be giving my all at work. I should be doing all those things, but it gets hard. The schedule fills very, very quickly. I know that. You obviously know that. So how does someone like you in your position with your responsibility and the purpose that you feel, how do you find balance in maintaining all these things? You have to be ruthless uh, with your, um, with your time. And, and what I, what I will, what I will tell you is we use the term work-life balance um, and that implies 50, 50. Uh, there is a, not a single leader in any of the, in this position, yours, I'd imagine, at uh, all that can give the same amount of time um, work in life. What you've got to look at is quality. And so when I'm with my wife or my, my children, that has to be quality time. You know, two weeks ago, taking my daughter to, to the zoo, my, my daughters, excuse me, and my wife to the zoo, um, leaving the phone uh, in, in the car and, you know, having my, my kids feed the giraffes. You know, those are memories I'll have forever. No, no one's no one's going to say, you know, hey, Scott or Master Guns, uh, if only you, you put more, a couple more hours into that, those meetings or uh, watched a few more PowerPoint slides, those those things that doesn't happen. So it has to be um, balanced from a quality, not a quantity time frame, and then ruthlessly getting after what are your priorities. Next year, most likely is my last full year active duty, um, and I'll probably retire in 2023 unless they throw something at me uh, and, and that'll, that'll put me at around 31 years of service. And so going into that, I've already kind of laid out what are the things I need to do? Um, and, and, you know, the first one obviously is, is finding time to properly advise my commander, which means I'm reading, I'm keeping an eye on what's going on. 
um, and then ruthlessly prioritizing engagements with uh, the services and talking about what we're doing in space and then developing our people. If it doesn't fit in one of those three bins, I may get to it, but I probably won't. And, and so just being ruthless with, with that prioritization because, um, and my team, you know, you, you, you've talked to them, you know, uh, the amount of requests for my time from CEOs of companies, we get several a day. Uh, hey, can I get five minutes? Can I talk to you for an hour? Can you fly out and see me for this? Um, it's impossible to do it all. Um, we've got, I joked about this, uh, we've got five events on the 11th of December coming up. That's a Saturday alone. Um, and I said, hey, well, we're just going to do two. There's no way we can, we can do all of this. And so your evenings quickly become, uh, you know, part of, part of work. You rarely will get a full weekend off. You rarely get a whole week without some kind of uh, social engagements. You just got to be ruthless. Does it fit into something or one of those bins? Can I delegate it? Uh, I've got a lot of great uh, enlisted leaders here. Maybe they can take it for me. Um, and that, that's why I've got to develop them. Uh, and so I think you just got to be ruthless with it, with it. You know, this is an opportunity to talk to a leader in the department, to talk to the department uh, about what we're doing at Space Command on leadership, resiliency, all those things. There was no way I was going to say no to this. Uh, but if someone wanted me to talk about, you know, service type things, and that was all, I'd probably defer that to the services um, and, and, and say no to that because I'm going to stay within my lane if possible. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, every day is a new battle then. Every day is a new day full of decisions because like for me, I struggle with telling people no. Like I, I hate letting people down. I hate saying no, but it sounds like in a position that you're in, you, you're having to say no a lot because you're one person with X amount of hours per day but you're getting asked to do, you know, a week's worth of work every single day. And how do you sort that out? And how do you accomplish it all? Right. You can't yeah. do it by yourself. You have to pick and choose. You have to delegate. So every day I'm sure is very interesting for you. What is a normal day like for you in the office? Yeah. And I'll get to that. I will say this. I don't say no as much as I probably should. Um, but what I do say is, Hey, we're going to have to push that out. So, you know, our calendar, you know, what is it? December 6th today. Um, I think it is. Um, our, our calendar. Yep. So we, we've got things in April and May on the, on the calendar already for next year. Um, and, and so we'll do that, but a normal day, um, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of actually what a normal day looks like because there is nothing consistent about it. Um, but I'll tell you this, when I don't have some kind of engagement first thing, uh, normally I'm not in, you know, at zero dark 30, but there are some times uh, I've done a podcast on here before, I think at like two in the morning, because it was with New Zealand. And so there are times when things are happening, where the, you know, long hours, uh, when, when Russia was doing what they were doing, we were here on a Sunday till 9, 10 p.m. Um, and so I really am proud of the fact that if I don't have to be in super early, I won't be. I'll try to get my rest in, I'll try to PT early in the morning. Um, but, but a typical week, um, there's usually a commander's update brief and there's usually what we call a JADER, a joint directorate uh, update. So those are two, of the engagements that I'll normally have. Um, and then there's an awful lot of engagements I'll have with the CX office, uh, with, with CZ, with the COCOMs and the services. So trying to not get into the tactical business of the service components, but really focusing on the up and out. Um, and then probably one, one if not more, uh, several times a week doing some kind of PME engagement where I'm educating the force on what's going on at Space Command and then in the space uh, domain. 
because there's an awful lot of people that don't fully understand it. You know, we wouldn't be able to do this engagement now if it wasn't for some space-based capabilities. Um, and so that's that's a focus of mine too, but that's that's where it is. Um, and then I spend an awful lot of my time uh, reading the intelligence reports that come in, um, the operational summaries, because I just I just don't think in these, these jobs, you have a lot of time to prepare uh, for tomorrow. And so if my commander calls uh, tonight and says, hey, Master Guns, I need you to go have this engagement with whoever, I'm prepared already. And so there's a constant state of preparation by, by keeping track of what's going on by reading um, and knowing the, the operational environment. So there's also another key uh, factor I'm hearing over and over again, and that's preparedness. And uh, before, uh, when we we're setting this meeting up, I, I talked to your exec there and I said, hey, you know, what stands out about Master Guns to you? And, and uh, they said preparedness. Preparedness is something that they have noticed you focus on, you make it a priority. Is that something that's come natural to you or is that something you've really had to hone to survive? Well, so let's take it this way. I'll answer it in, in almost a question. Um, you you uh, have done many podcasts now. This one being better than your first one from the perspective of you, you, you understand the intricacies of, of how to set it up and how to do it. You understand the flow of the conversation and, and that sort of thing. This no longer for you is a job, although you could certainly translate into a job later um, and and financially do well um, if you can get an audience, you know, to to really be fascinated by your subjects. So because it's a it's something you love and enjoy, you're good at it. I generally actually love what I do, and because I love what I do, and I want to know what the adversaries, our competitors are doing. I want to know what we're doing. I want to know what our people are doing. I want to understand training. I want to understand policy preparation comes easy because I would feel lost if, if I wasn't, you know, doing that at a COCOM level, you don't have an awful lot of troops. We have less than hundred enlisted individuals at the headquarters. It's very heavy on officers and those officers are, are at least 06 and above. And so the, this, this idea that I'm going to, you know, take care of the troops, so to speak. Um, yes, a priority, but I don't have a lot of them. And normally the troops that are here, have a, a very high echelon of, of chain of command where they have an E7, E8, and E9 in their chain of command and in officers as well. So preparation for me is just, a, it's like a passion. I, I love, I want to know what's going on. I want, um, I really enjoy, I remember I was in a country, I can't, I won't be able to say where, um, but my boss uh, sent me a text in the morning um, and, I, and I get this text and he said, hey, Master Guns, uh, I, need you to, I need you to do the brief with the ambassador. I'm not feeling too well. That made me that, that just to hear that it, that's incredible because that's that individual who was a very senior general officer had confidence in me didn't need to tell me what to do how to do it he knew I had it um, and and that's because of the preparation and I think most people in these positions really need to to understand that's that's the where we've got to be and and that's how we get to step our game up we we've got to understand we're not in these jobs uh, for the sake of it this is about war fighting we wear the uniform. Uh, to deter conflict but if we have to get in a conflict make no mistake we got to win and and so winning is is cerebral it's certainly kinetic in, in all of the above you got to be a master master of your trade and you do that by rehearsing and preparing i was hoping you could run us through spacecom what that means what its mission is and why is it separate from space force absolutely you, you have uh, so the simple answer to why how it's separate and why You've got the Goldwater-Nichols Act. Uh, I believe that was 1986. 
where Congress uh, really set up uh, lanes. And you've got the services, Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Space Force, Coast Guard, um, when they're in the department that are there to organize, train, and equip. Um, what does that mean? That means basically bringing in talent, hopefully retaining talent, training them to be basic, basically trained in their MOSs, ratings, AFSCs, whatever joint term you want to use, and then presenting that um, to a combatant command. And, and most of us are familiar with our time at Central Command. That comes natural. But now we have it where the Space Force as the predominant force that will cre create create um, service members that understand space, they will predominantly provide uh, their individuals to space command, but, but they'll also provide, uh, excuse the lights uh, went out here. Uh, oh, it's all good. Energy efficient. <laughs> um, they're, they're taking care of it. No, we're, we're actually on Mars right now. We're in space. No, but, but the point is, <laughs> is um, there we go. Um, we, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take those individuals, you know, uh, and, and, and really at, at here have a, a, a joint force where we have the soldiers here. My commander is a four-star army soldier. Um, and, you know, I'm a Marine and, and apply that taking the authorities that he has, um, hopefully to deter conflict in space. Um, one of the things many people don't know, uh, that kind of keep an eye on the 11 combat commands is we're actually a geographic combat command here at space command. We have an assigned area, so 100 kilometers above the Earth's surface and to wherever the end is, whether it's infinite or not, we don't know. Uh, but that's our assigned area of responsibility. And so we are focused heavily on deterring conflict to provide options to the sector of defense. What I want to do and where I focus my lane is because you hear this term great power competition all the time. Well, I've never seen two athletes, two teams, two nations compete for the sake of tying or losing. We've got to compete to win. And so I want to make sure our folks here are ready to compete to win, um, that understand their lanes. That's where I really uh, focus my time is um, how do we do that? Well, whether you're admin or operator, whether you're in Intel or logistics, doesn't matter here. You have an important lane. And so I try to take all of the folks that are here and get them to understand where their role fits into the greater picture. Um, and, and that, you know, quite frankly, you could you could really make a case for our J1 being the most important, our human resources being the most important as you build out a new combat command where you have very few people. You can't afford to get it wrong by bringing in the wrong talent. Um, and so we're heavily focusing on bringing in the, in the right talent uh, and that sort of thing. And so it's not special. Space isn't special. It's different and it's unique. It's vast. Um, it's certainly a, a competitive environment. It's congested. Um, but it's still a warfighting domain. It's still a domain that we've got to have expertise in to provide options to the secretary. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, hopefully to deter conflict, but to be ready, not for great power competition, but for, for great power victory. Okay. So I have a question that I thought about on my drive home that I think for someone, you know, like me, where I'm sitting, your average airman who isn't 100% familiar with everything going on in the world, the question that I have, because we hear about China, we hear about Russia, we hear about all these things. I think the best question I could ask you to really get it is, what does a world run by China look like? What is their end game? What, what is so different about how the world is now versus if the ball was in their court and they're running the show? What does that look like? Yeah, that is a great point. And, you know, this is the whole uh, conversation 
information about when, when we had the USSR and we had Rocky versus Drago, we knew who the bad guys are. We know who the good guys are. Um, I don't think actually China is uh, on that list of bad guys. I think what we need to be focusing on is the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, and the, the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, where Xi Jinping, he runs the, the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and, and then understanding what the perspective he comes from, you know, he comes from a, uh, a, a, an upbringing where uh, his father um, was, was publicly criticized. And so he has a bit of shame in him. He comes from an upbringing where his sister took her own life. Um, and so there's, you know, there's sadness and deep sadness from that. Um, and then he comes from a background where he applied to be a member of the Chinese Communist Party 10 times until he finally got in. And so there's that resentment, you know, that's probably inside of him individually. You also have to understand the opium wars and the kind of the great 100 years of, of the depression era of China to understand where they see things, because we've got to understand where they see things. Um, you, you understand what they're doing in the Northwest uh, with their Muslim population and how that is. And so what I would tell you is um, China itself, not necessarily a negative. We want to protect and, and have our way of life. And I think the way uh, the Chinese Communist Party would do things where, for example, um, you know, the, the national security law, I believe of 2017, dictates that any business or company in China or doing business with China has to turn over their information uh, at, at any point. Um, and this is why I always had some issues with TikTok is Hey, if if, uh, if if China wants, they they can take your, your information and your data. And so I think it's it's the the fact that you have a repressive government who um, will basically tell you how to live. Um, you know, if you were in if we were in uh, China right now, um, having this conversation, and we mentioned Tiananmen Square, and we said let's go look it up, we wouldn't be able to see it. Almost like 1984, um, in, in the book 1984, where history is daily erased, that history is erased, and so. I think what we want, you know, is, is what we have in the United States, where we have great debate. We have professional disagreements. We certainly have our, our bumps in the road, and we've got to get better in some things. Um, but I don't think what we want is a, is a government dictating what we can say, how we can live our lives, uh, and that sort of thing. And so that's where I think uh, the, the challenge will be, you know, um, that, that we're dealing with within China. Definitely. And, I, and speaking of, like, TikTok and, and that whole world, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, fake profiles. You know, the the more of a presence I have on the internet, the more people try to hack my account, the more fake messages and fake links and fake profiles are coming at me like all the time. So, and and it seems like they're trying to, I, I don't even know what their end game is, but it seems like there's some sort of psyop online of, of constantly, I mean, if I'm being attacked, you know, if my social media presence is being attacked, I'm, I'm just a random airman who makes podcasts. Like, I can't even imagine what you guys deal with. So like in the cyber world, what are they trying to accomplish? Are they trying to start? Are they trying to make us attack each other? Are they trying to cause confusion and conflict? And what, what is that all about? Yeah, I think uh, so. There's a couple things. One in the department has, has uh, messaged us a couple of times. Uh, one of the reasons why in certain individuals are kind of duplicated and, and have a lot of fake accounts out there um, is often when they're in the public arena, um, they can have a, a false story. So here's what I mean by that is let's say I want to be Mass Sergeant Josh White. 
I can Google you and there's probably some things out there that I can say, he's a real guy. Um, and so I create a fake account. I then develop fake relationships with, with uh, in this case, uh, widows. Um, and then we, we exploit them. And so this is something that happens now today. It's happened to me many, many times often where people will create a fake Master Gunny Scott stalker account. They'll make some BS war hero story um, and then start having relationships with women. Um, they, they get them to believe that it's a real relationship. Um, and then the women end up sending them money so that I can come visit them. And so they're exploited widows. So you have that. That is, that is a real concern and it's hard. And so the social media companies that are out there really need to do a better job of, of making sure that there is a, a way to identify the end user. Uh, they have a real name. They have a real profile. I can authenticate. This is Josh White. Um, and I'm having a real conversation with them. And, and they've got to step up their game. They're not there yet. The other one is from a counterintelligence perspective. And so there's a lot of um, savvy individuals that are out there. But I think that if you thought you and I were talking on social media and I said something like, hey, Josh, remember that time we were in this country? Um, you know, can you can you share with me who uh, can you remind me who we talked to? I forgot about it or something. And if you actually thought we were having a conversation, you may be able to get some intelligence out of me. And so there's that counterintelligence uh, threat and concern that we've got to be mindful of. Um, it takes an awful lot of time to develop these fake accounts. And so. They've got to be mindful. Is, is the juice worth the squeeze? To date, it has been. What we need are social media companies that make it painful and make it hard um, and make them go through all this work to create a fake account. And then it leads to nothing. Um, and so that, that's, a, that's something I have. The team here keeps an eye on it and, and they see it uh, for a while there. I'm not on social media at all anymore. I, had link, I have LinkedIn, um, so you can call it social media, but I'm not on any of the other platforms. But for a while there, when I was uh, three or four fake ones a day, and just, we have to consistently take them down and it, it's hard. Wow. How frustrating you're trying to get your, you know, you're trying to represent Spacecom, your values, what you're all about. You're trying to share your vision, um, with the tools that you have provided. And then, you know, folks are trying to muddy the waters or trying to come in and, and stop that message from getting out there. Yeah, that, that is rough. Um, and they almost had me the other day. Uh, so most of the time I can see him coming a mile away and I'm like, okay, yeah, block, block. But there is a few good ones lately. And so I'll tell you what happened. So the good one that almost got me was a friend of mine uh, had her account hacked, thought that the account I was talking to was the real person, but it in fact had already been hacked. The real person made a new account, but the hacked account said, hey, you need to report this other account. That's not me. And I'll, oh, and by the way, to validate that it is me, I need you to click this link. And if you click this link, you know, it sends Facebook a message saying, hey, this is me. It'll validate it and we'll be all good. And I thought, okay, well, now I know you're BSing me because I checked, I, I got the email, I saw the link and I said, this, this isn't right. But I thought, my God, I thought I was talking to the real person when in fact the account was hacked and, and they're pointing to the actual real person now and saying, that's the fake one. That was next level to me. I've, I have not seen it go to that point. Uh, and, I've, and her name's uh, Ashley Glass, I've, uh, Master Sergeant, friend of mine, and I felt so bad for her because once you lose that account, it's gone. You yeah. can't seem to recover it. It seems to just, it's, it's like Facebook can't do anything about it. It's just gone. You just have to make a new one. And you know, the other part, this, so this will even get more complex um, as technology gets better where you can make fake videos. So I, I, I saw that you had mentioned you want to, you know, you'll meet Tom Cruise at some point and uh, whatnot. Um, 
today you could actually make a video that could fool 90% of the world uh, to, to get them to think you've already met him. Um, so imagine you, you now are, are having an engagement with someone on social media and they have a video and, and you think, well, this is real. So obviously um, I've got uh, a real conversation here. That's going to make it even harder. That technology is already there. There was a fake video uh, done on President Obama, uh, you know, one of the deep fakes. Um, and some people thought, wow, does he actually say this? Um, and I forgot what it was, but, but no, he did not. And, uh, you know, so imagine during election season, imagine tomorrow we're going to vote and, uh, and you're running for president. And I do a video, you know, I'm the adversary. I do a video. I release it the night prior where you say all sorts of negative things, racist things, sexist things. Um, and even if I can only get 10% of the world to think that that was really you, I've altered the election. Uh, those are things that concern me is, is you know, where are we going to go with deep fake technology? And industry has a big role here. They've got to make sure that we know what's real and what isn't. Yeah, the deep fake stuff is scary. Uh, Tom Cruise has a deep fake. So there's on TikTok, there's a, a, a fake Tom Cruise on TikTok. <laughs> and it is so spot on. It's unbelievable. It is simply yeah. unbelievable. I cannot believe that that's not Tom Cruise because it's it's yeah. literally the camera is right in his face. There's no blurriness. It looks just like him. It's, it's, it's crazy. I think your general just set like some initiatives, right? Like just recently came out with like some spacecom initiatives that they're getting after from where you're sitting today right now. What is y'all's priority? Yeah, uh, well, so the, the vice president just chaired uh, last week our National Space Council. Um, and, and we were an element of that, me, meaning the Space Command, but it was Commerce, State Department, you, you name it, all of government, what I call a, a whole of society approach uh, to getting after this. One of, the, one of our priorities is really to, uh, the Secretary of Defense has tasked us with coming back to him and, and what does the tenets of responsible behavior in space look like and how, how can we take the lead in saying this is what responsible behavior in space is. Um, given that the Russians a few weeks ago launched their own missile, took out uh, one of their own satellites and left a lot of debris, we want to lead the conversation and lead by example to say this is what responsible space behavior looks like. Some other things is, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're waiting on, and I won't get into this too much, but we're waiting on uh, the administration to decide where our headquarters will be with a basing decision. Um, and so that will be a good to know wherever we're going to be. We're just looking forward to a decision so that we can start bringing in talent. Um, what we don't want to do is go to the services or hire civilians and then say, hey, here, you're here now. Oh, by the way, pack your bags. We're moving. Um, and so being able to know soon. Uh, is something uh, to us, you know, as we build out this command. And then I think lastly, uh, for us, I talked about the priorities of, of space domain awareness. I think for me, uh, you know, we have these uh, mission sets, deter, deliver, defend, defeat. Um, those are four Ds. I'm focusing on the fifth D and that's develop. And so my, my year and a half that I have left in this command, all I've got is going to be to develop our enlisted leaders here, our enlisted workforce, uh, and quite frankly, our officers and our civilians as well. Um, so that, you know, it's kind of that old idea of um, leave it better than you found it. Um, that, that's where we're getting at here. Um, but I think at the end of the day, again, we're in uniform. We have a Department of Defense for a reason. Um, and that is about warfighting readiness and lethality. And so the, 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 the areas of training, making sure our folks are trained, making sure they're ready from everything from, from child care to technical expertise and everything in between. 
that's where that's where I'm focused. That's where we're focused. Uh, but one thing I definitely wanted to make sure I asked you, this is a little random. Elon yeah. Musk, have you ever met him and what's he like? I've never met him. Uh, never but I was at space. No, I haven't. I was at SpaceX a few days ago, though, uh, out in Vandenberg. Um, really? And I think, yeah. Yeah. And I've been to the, I've been to see them in Florida uh, as well. Um, but if I could, let me let me touch on that, because I think um, we talk about our our strategic, um, you know, what makes us better as a force, what what gives us that, uh, um, you know, puts us kind of ahead of our, our competitors, our peers, uh, our adversaries. And I think the commercial sector in space um, is blowing up in terms of expanding um, and will continue to do so. And if it wasn't for companies like SpaceX and many others, the things that we're doing in space today uh, wouldn't be possible. We, we would still be writing a check to the Russians to have them put people and things in space for us. And so the commercial sector uh, is incredible. I haven't met him yet. Um, I have come within a day of being in the same area of him. I, I was asked to do a Marine Corps ball uh, a couple years back. Uh, and I found out the day prior he was in the same room um, as, a, as a guest of honor for that one. The difference is, is I came in a rental car and he came in a helicopter. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I love about the guy, I don't know him, uh, obviously, or what he's really like. But from what I can tell, what I appreciate about him, and I think anyone in the military would appreciate, is that that just that ferociousness of of getting after it and making things happen. I mean, that's the dream, right? we can talk all day long, but when we start making things happen, that's when we get fired up. And so that's what I love about the guy. He, he doesn't play around. He just makes things happen. And I, I love that he's on our team. Yeah. He, he, so if you read the book by Tim Grover winning, uh, which you got to read that one too. Um, he is the definition of that. The, the, Tim Grover talks about his time with, with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant um, and, and other elite athletes. And it's really about getting to that, that highest level of, of performance um, and excellence in everything you do. Um, that's, I, I think Elon Musk would tell you, he doesn't work a day in his life. He wakes up and follows his passion. Um, and, you know, you can see it in your work at, 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 um, at on your podcast, you can see it, you know, and what you do, you wake up, this is my passion, uh, or even performing a funeral or, you know, with the honor guard, all those things you do um, because it's a passion because you love it. It's not, I have to do this as I get to do this. Absolutely. And we, and we need the challenges, right? Like, if, if life gets easy, we get bored. We need the challenge. That's what I remind myself. Like we need the struggle. We need the challenge. We need to work for it. If we work for it, we're going to be happy. We're going to, we're going to enjoy the ride. We're going to get to the other side with that, with that purposeful mindset. And we're going to feel fulfilled, but without working for it, without struggling here and there, it, the, the win isn't going to feel like a win. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 you imagine, um, you know, the Cleveland Browns winning a Super Bowl and all those Brown fans coming together uh, through all of those trials and tribulations. I remember the 19, you know, when, when the Red Sox broke their 86 year curse um, and won the World Series. And, you know, there were tears. There were, you know, I'm, I remember talking to my, I'm a Red Sox guy, I'm from New Hampshire. So I remember talking to my grandmother after that, you know, and, and she's still with us. But it, it was like, oh my God, can you believe this? This is surreal because you went through all of that turbulence and, and you put in all the work and, and finally, um, you know, you, you, you feel that victory. It's kind of like the Lombardi uh, conversation about what it takes to be number one. Um, and, and to me, it's, you put all the work in, you, you gave it all you have and, and you, and you won it all. It, it's incredible.
Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll feel that when you get selected for senior master sergeant. I'm like, wow, all this work he put in, you know, and, and he gets selected. Um, I feel that way sincerely. I appreciate that, sir. So I'm kind of going all over the place now because there's so many things I could ask you just from whom, who you are and what you deal with. Yeah. Something that was on my mind too from your other podcast, you talk about like different technologies for war fighting that's kind of on the rise. Some things that we've never thought about. You mentioned the word quantum uh, in one of the podcasts. I know about quantum mechanics. Is that what, what you were getting at or is quantum something else? Well, so on specific to that, I was talking quantum computing. Um, and the reason, the reason I brought up that is um, how we communicate right now, uh, we do that via encrypted communication. So you have communication at rest, in transit, and at rest. Um, and throughout that whole time, it's encrypted. So if we wanted to have a private conversation and not, let, not have anyone know, um, we, we would have that, the commercial provider encrypts. We have that in our, in our satellite communications. We have that in all our communications uh, in the department as well. You know, whether it's Nipper, Sipper, JWIX, you name it, things are encrypted. In theory, uh, when a nation reaches true quantum computing and they have um, quantum power, uh, the, the theory goes that at that point, the encrypted um, devices, the encryption that we have could potentially be broken. And so that would give an adversary the ability to completely understand everything we're talking about um, and potentially, you know, render our indications and warning, uh, the, the, the capabilities we have, the communications, the, the secrets, the classified information we have, it would it'd make it null and void um, in theory. So yeah, I, I, do, I do read a lot about quantum computing. Quite frankly, though, if you read about quantum, it can blow your mind. It's, it's, it's very hard. It's a complex issue um, and, a, and a very complex technology. Um, but, but make no mistake, our adversaries are, are studying it. But no, I worry about those things. And I, you know, whether it's genetic modification and how we could potentially uh, lay out our, our sequencing of DNA um, and, and through CRISPR, uh, there's some great technology there where we could potentially cure diseases or prevent illness. But what if I could also um, create superhumans uh, or you know, you, you, you talked about Elon Musk earlier. He talked about human brain uh, interfaces uh, with machines. So imagine, imagine you're able to interface the human brain with a computer. I mean, it's, gonna, it's a, inevitable. It's going to happen one day. It probably is. But so basically, I download all of the world's information in, in, on day one. And so I have a one-year-old that knows every language, every mathematical equation, um, you know, so where does this go? I don't know where it goes. It's interesting. It's fascinating to me. I, I consider myself um, an amateur futurist. I'm always reading about the future. I'm always interested in what the future looks like. Um, but when I hear people talk about human machine brain interface uh, and those types of, and we have a little bit of it now, right? You see people that have prosthetics and they can think um, and then the prosthetic will, will move. So we already have a little bit of that, but imagine um, if we can, basically download all the data in the world what is that, that i, I mean know. that's the matrix that's neo that is yeah i think that comes out in a few weeks i know i but, can't uh, wait yeah me too so yeah i never thought we'd be living the matrix and the in the theories uh that we saw in that movie in 1999 with because um, i remember trinity they can upload things to their brain you know trinity couldn't ride a motorcycle so they uploaded it to her mind and suddenly she was an expert in no time and it's crazy to think that those things that we saw 
in the late 90s on a movie could actually happen one day. So the conversation that I could foresee happening uh, is ethics. You know, what if that is possible? And what if another adversary is doing these things, making these super soldiers and growing these people that are going to absolutely kick our butt one day? Would ethics hold us back from mirroring an advantage like that? Like, do those discussions have to take place? I think they have to, but, uh, and so you get, and, and I don't know where we are um, on, on those conversations, but I'll, I'll say if, if our adversary has created um, unethically, let's just say a super advantage, do we just say, well, we're not going to, uh, to do that? I don't know. I don't know. But if, if, you know, if, if country X now has um, an army when everyone's as powerful as a gorilla, um, or they can they can um, interface their brain to a computer um, and get data faster and make decisions faster uh, or, or whatever. Um, I think the ethics are, are one, how do we get there? But then two, is it ethical or unethical to not uh, have that competitive advantage? I don't know. I think I think you know ethicists need to look at it from the from how do we get there, but also whether or not we make the decision to not have that capability, knowing that if we don't, um, our way of life may may no longer exist, and so there's there's it's a it's a very complex issue. It's it's fascinating to me. Again, I love having these conversations with futurists and, and reading what they think, because um, it's inevitable that we will continue to make micro um, improvements uh, along these lines. It's inevitable that um, we're going to be able to do things with our mind, um, and and you know it's inevitable that we're going to have. Uh, vehicles that are driving on their own. I mean, that's already there. Um, I think I was reading about recently, you know, unmanned um, kind of helicopter drones that you're going to be able to get into at an airport. And, and one country already has it. You can get into it at an airport, um, tell it where to go. There's no human there. And it kind of just flies you uh, kind of like a helicopter Uber. Um, so some of these things are inevitable. It'll, it'll, it, it'll take a, an economic demand, I think, for that technology to be realized. Um, but once that economic demand, you can see just like the commercialization of space, now that there's an economic demand for it, um, it's going to blow up. And, and I don't mean blow up literally, but, but figuratively. Definitely. Um, has there been anything since you've, you've been in Space Command um, that you're able to talk about a technology perhaps or something that you've learned about where you were like, dang, this is amazing, like just blew your mind? Was there anything in particular that jumps out at you? What inspires me and makes and motivates me is knowing we have a lot of highly trained individuals that are capable. Um, and so from a technology perspective, it's not a thing that's in space, but it's the mere fact that we stood up a command to focus on this and a service. Um, and, you know, you can look at things we have, right? And so this is unclassified. You know, we got the X-37, which is an unmanned platform that goes into space and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and our adversary looks at that and they have, um, you know, desires to do similar but um, for me, it's never going to be the new cool thing that's in space that can track you uh, from wherever on the world. It's, it's really, I'm just focused on the people that, uh, that are able to utilize these skill sets. And I hope, and I mean this sincerely, I hope that uh, we, can, we can have that and it just makes it better for society. Um, if you really play out what a, a, a great power conflict would look like, as, as the chairman calls it, um, this is not going to be uh, an Iraq or an Afghanistan. This is going to be um, 
game changer uh, where millions, hundreds of thousands, millions, if not even more, um, are dead and potentially dead instantly. And so I, 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 just, I just hope we don't get to a part um, where this is Terminator 2, um, you know, robots against robots and machine against machine. Um, and and we're, nowhere, we're nowhere near there. Um, but we've got to, you know, Chief Toberman, I've got a saying above my, my door. Uh, he, he came up with this saying. He said, our most important weapon system lives and breathes. And in a, in, a, in a command that deals with uh, things in space, things you can't touch, the things you may not be able to see, we can sometimes lose our focus on that. Um, I want to stay focused on our most important weapon system lives and breathes and how do we uh, take care of them and what taking care of people means. I don't think it means necessarily going home at four o'clock every day. It means that their awards are done on time, that their evals are done on time, that we brought them onto the command through an onboarding process in a professional way. That's taking care of our people, um, not kind of the, uh, what I call the bumper sticker uh, thing that's out there now and, and, you know, dignity and respect. And what does all that mean? It means actually doing something proactively. So a um, little bit off topic there, but for me, um, there isn't any technology that I can make, you know, late breaking news here. Um, but I am proud of the people that are engaged in what we do. Um, and I'll continue to be so. Yeah. We can't lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of the, the, the humanity. You know, so really your answer is the people seeing what they're capable of. Yeah, 100%. It. Yeah, it really is. And, and um, I, I think, you know, what makes me proud is when I uh, have my engagements with the COCOMs or the service senior listed or even the SEAC, there's that's never lost on any of them, on any of us. Um, it is always about the people. There are ways to do that. There are different ways to do that. I think um, for me, it's, it's, again, not getting to the, the, the bumper sticker of it. It's, it's holding them accountable. It's training them to standard. It's focusing on our warfighting missions. Um, and then everything in between that, um, readiness, readiness of the family, making sure um, each individual knows where they fit into the mission set. And that takes a proactive, effective communication strategy. It can't be just send an email out um, and hope everyone gets it. It has to be kind of by design, not by accident. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to come to a close here. We're coming to a, a, a wrap. I don't want you to miss out on seeing those beautiful kiddos of yours because uh, I'm, a, I'm a relatively new parent just like you. I have the four-year-old daughter and I have a two-year-old son. And so uh, we both had kids later in the game. So I totally have that in common with you and I totally get that. So I don't want to hold you up from that or miss that. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to come to a close here. So the last question that I have for you is what is next after Spacecom for you? Um, yeah, good question. My wife would love to know that answer too. Here's the advice I was given a long time ago and recently is, is I'm going to dominate my battle space. I will be the greatest and the best senior enlisted leader that I can be here. If the service, um, the Marine Corps or the Joint Force says there's an opportunity, um, then I will, I will uh, have a conversation with my wife and say, do we want to do this collectively as a team? Um, and then, and then we'll make that decision, but no matter what you, I, and everyone listening, uh, that's in the service will at some point transition. Um, and so I, I am, while my foot is on the gas pedal, um, and I'm going hundred miles an hour and my rucksack is still on tight. I am focusing on, you know, what is next for me and, and what does that look like? And so I have a lot of ideas, you know, um, what that'll look like, but I know one thing that wherever I'm at, whatever I'm doing. Um, in some lane, in some way, there'll be a way to give back. 
Um, and I looked at the challenges I, I had as a young boy growing up and a young man, and I didn't have necessarily that strong fa father figure. And so one of the things I want to do is, is have a, an opportunity for individuals who may have made a mistake in their life and, and may be on the wrong path um, to, to mentor them, to, to, to get them back uh, on their game and to give them opportunities. Um, and so whatever I do, um, there'll probably be a national security piece to it, whether I'm um, a consultant or, or, or you name it. Um, but I don't care what I'm doing as long as I've got at least something where I can give back um, because I would feel empty. I would feel without purpose um, if I didn't have that, that, um, that piece to me. Is there anything that we did not talk about, any message or final thoughts that you would like to share? I, I would say this. Um, for, for whoever's listening, for whoever is, is trying to be the next, next Josh White, uh, Scott Stalker, you know, whatever the case may be, um, at the end of the day, find your passion. Find your passion uh, and do that. Whether you work in, in public affairs and you like taking photos, um, because that is, that is where you're going to be excellent at. I would, I, again, I would struggle a, a lot if I had a four-hour workday um, and working from home. I, I can't do that. I would lose my mind. Uh, my wife would, would, would tell me, uh, you know, you got to go do something else. And so if you find your passion, um, I, think, I think if I read right in your career, Josh, you started off, um, were you doing maintenance or something like that? I was aerospace ground equipment, which is uh, the support equipment for aircraft. So, yes, sir, I was on the flight line as maintenance. Right. And, and at some point in your career, you, you made a decision, hey, maybe this isn't for me. I did. Um, it's not a bad job. It's just not Josh White's job. It wasn't one of um, my so, strengths for sure. There you go. And, and that's okay. And owning that. Um, and so being authentic to who you are, um, it, it really, it, it allows you to do things naturally. And, and, you know, you can see it in your podcast, how this is natural for you. This is something you enjoy doing. Try not to be the next Joe Rogan, the next K Wright, the next whoever, be the Josh White or whoever's listening, be, be that. Um, and, 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 um, you suddenly find yourself, wow, I, I love what I do. I get to go do this. And, and I would be upset if I didn't get to wake up on a Monday morning uh, and say, TJ, I am. Thank God it's Monday. I get to go do this again. Um, and and that's, that's how you, you really get to do. But I will on the flip side of that, if you find yourself waking up every morning and saying, God, I don't really enjoy doing this anymore. It's time to look yourself in the mirror, find that passion and go pursue it. And, and that may mean what we call in the Marine Corps, a lateral move to a different assignment like you did. Uh, it may mean service isn't for you anymore. It may mean uh, becoming an officer or, or, you, or you, you name it. Um, but the moment you can find that, that passion and, and what your purpose is, um, wow, it, it makes life, it's not that life's easy, but it makes those bumps in the road um, a little more enjoyable because you realize there are opportunities to grow not necessarily get they get hit on the head. So that that's kind of how I would end it is um, find that purpose. Absolutely. There's no greater feeling to me than feeling comfortable in your own skin and operating in your strengths and in, and in your passion and purpose. That to me is when you're free to be the best version of you. You know what I mean? When you're operating in your strengths, when you're comfortable in your own skin, you know what you're capable of that's when change happens. That's when it's no longer talking about it. It's doing it and making things happen. So we're going to wrap it up here, y'all. So Master Gun, Scott Stalker, 
went from a fan, I was a fan of you, from a podcast with Kay Wright to friends on LinkedIn, and now you're on the Hero Front podcast, and I cannot tell you how honored I am to have you on here. Your team, super professional, incredible team that you're operating. You are one of the most dedicated service members I've ever met, and I am so glad that you're on our team. Because you're on our team, I can sleep at night. <laughs> I can sleep at night because I know Master Guns, Scott Stalker, is freaking killing it out there. So I want to thank you, sir, for everything that you're doing for us. And thank you for coming on the Hero Front podcast. Thanks, Josh. Semper Fi. Take care.